Welcome to Energy Radio. This is episode 86, and my name is Lisa Katz. I'm the Director of Business Development and Marketing at CEM Engineering and Executive Producer of Energy Radio. Today, I'm excited to welcome Brad Huckster, Vice President of RNG Services at Northern Biogas to the show. Welcome, Brad. Hey, how, are how are you? Great. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm excited for this podcast. You and I have known each other for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm actually interested to hear about your intro. Uh, we'll get to that in a couple of a uh, couple of seconds. But I didn't realize until this morning that you worked at Wood and you were sort of in like well a consulting firm and in the GHG space and you know all of that uh, or the uh, GTG space rather gas turbine generator space. So, mm-hmm. anyways, why don't why don't we start there? Let's talk about uh, you know get an introduction from you. Talk about how you got into the energy space and how you arrived at Northern Biogas, if uh, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm uh, I'm Canadian, which I'm not sure if you're aware of. But, oh, I didn't uh, know that either. Wow. Okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah, grew up, grew up in Canada. I actually spent some time in the Canadian Armed Forces when I was young. Oh. Um, and where then, did you where did you sorry where did you grow up in Canada? Uh, I was born in the Yukon, and I grew up in Newfoundland. So oh, wow. coast to okay. coast. Yeah. Wow. And then kind of wow. all over the place with the military. Nice. Um, but yeah, got out. Uh, I mean, got in really young and, and was out by the time I was 24, actually, and uh, uh, took my first job with uh, Enerflex up in Calgary, Alberta, doing uh, wellhead compressors for natural gas um, compression stations. Mm. Um, and that was really kind of my first introduction into natural gas. Um, went from there and joined a company in Montreal. Actually did some backpacking around Europe after that one. And, oh, <laughs> and yeah. then decided to come back and take a job with uh, Zbeck in Montreal, um, which is a, at the time they were building uh, compressed air dryers and filters. Um, they had just kind of branched out into natural gas at that time as well with some dehydration equipment. Uh, but this was really early days for uh, for Zbeck when, you know, before they got into the RNG space. Um, after spent a few years there, Zbeck got bought out by Dominic Hunter. Dominic Hunter got bought out by Parker Hannafin. And I, I went through all of those fun buyouts and transitions and, uh, you know, went from a relatively small company, you know, into Parker Hannafin, which I think at the time was a, a $14 billion conglomerate. And that was wow. quite a change. Yeah. Quite, quite an interesting change in, uh, in just lifestyle and how you work and all of the things that come with a big company. Um, it was at Dominic Hunter actually, when um, I was working with a gentleman uh, by the name of Vince Higgins, who uh, had gotten thrown into, he was doing some R and D and basically had gotten thrown into a, uh, a project where a client had come to us and said, you know, Hey, we, we've got this problem with Solox things and, and VOCs, do you think you could do something about it? And uh, he actually ended up taking um, a TSA dryer that we were using at the time. Um, and after a couple of years of R&D, turned it into the first regenerative uh, siloxane and VOC reduction system um, that the market had ever seen. Oh. And um, yeah, so so that was really interesting. I got involved with him. He was kind of handling engineering production. I was handling sales. And uh, we took that to market under the name Don McHunter in about 2005. And things just took off and, and went absolutely crazy. Of course, everybody was doing power generation at the time. Everybody was having problems with siloxanes and, uh, you know, build up in the engines, build up in the turbines. Yeah. Um, and we just, we, we kind of took it and went crazy. Um, when Parker Hannafin bought the company out, um, I, I don't think they were 
fully enthralled with, you know, the direction we had gone and the, the industry that we're in, you know, Parker Hannafin was a, a nuts and bolts company, you know, an O-ring company. And, and we were running around selling these multi-million dollar uh, biogas treatment systems. And um, so we actually ended up leaving the company in, in about 2011, um, formed our own company, waited out a pretty painful non-compete <laughs> and oh, then yeah. formed our own company. And, um, went to market as Walexa Energy at the time, which is actually still around um, and, and very successful in the um, siloxane removal side of the industry. Um, spent a few years consulting for them. And then of course, in about 2014, 2015, you know, there was a seismic shift in the industry. And I, I literally went from a Thursday when I was you know, calling on everybody and, and you know, pursuing uh, sales of equipment for power generation. And by Friday, the phone stopped ringing and people stopped answering calls. And it was probably Monday before I figured out what was going on. And I remember at the time I got waste management on the line and, you know, and I said to them, hey, you know, I just want to talk to you about these power generation projects. And they said, hey, listen, you got to listen to the news. Um, we are no longer doing power generation. It's all RNG. Wow. Uh, if you can help us with RNG, we're interested in talking. Otherwise, we got to move on. And uh, it wow. happened that quickly. Wow. Uh, yeah. And, and so we, uh, you know, you know, we we um, we we carried on. It was kind of hard to make that that transition with the the technology and the equipment that we had at the time um, over to the RNG space. Um, you know, everybody at that time who was was in the upgrading side of the business who you know, taking the biogas up to RNG quality, um, they kind of had their own way that they were approaching siloxanes. And so there wasn't really an opening for them to to partner with somebody like Walexa to take that on. That's since changed and people have been much more open to the regenerative technology. And, um, and you'll find Walexa out there quite a bit uh, in this industry again now. Uh, but that was a bit of a, a transition for me um, so I ended up moving on from Alexa, actually shutting down my own company, uh, which was mm -hmm. was consulting for them, and um, moved over to uh, Green Lane Biogas, where I spent uh, almost the next five years. Okay. So yeah, so Green Lane was a was a really interesting place to be. Um, you know, they're kind of best known for their water wash technology. Um, but a lot of people may not know this, but they're actually the only company which has all three technologies. So they sell water wash, but they also sell PSA and membrane upgraders. Yep. Um, and so I, I, as the only salesperson in the U.S. for the only company in the world selling multiple technologies, I suddenly became uh, kind of a point of contact for everybody, you know, young engineers and developers and utilities and really everybody who was developing RNG or, or trying to learn how to do RNG uh, contacting me saying, um, you know, we've, we've got this project. We've This is how much gas we have. This is what it looks like. This is the pipeline spec that we need to meet. Uh, what technology is the best? Because, of mm -hmm. course, anybody else you talk to in the industry, they would say, well, whatever we're selling is the best. Yeah, yeah. It's, and so, you know, it was the only spot in the industry where I could kind of say, well, we sell all of them. Let me give you my unbiased opinion of, of yeah. for, for your project, what the best solution is. And it, it was a it was a learning curve. It was a lot of um, kind of free consulting work, honestly. Um, 
you know, hundreds of quotes a year um, for projects, um, technology comparisons, you know, laying out gas processes. And um, it was a really interesting spot to be. Um, I actually left Green Lane earlier, or I guess late last year, um, did some, went back to consulting for a few months, uh, worked with a company called SysAdvance out of Portugal, uh, which has made great strides in North America recently with their PSA upgrading systems. Um, and, and I think is an absolutely excellent option for anybody out there looking and uh, have landed now at Northern Biogas. Cool. So, yeah, just as of uh, as of December, uh, I'm now the, as you said, the vice president of RNG services for Northern Biogas. Um, Northern is, again, kind of unique in this space. Um, they are a developer, so they do have projects that they design, build, own and operate. But there's a completely separate side of the business, um, which I now manage, um, which is providing, you know, operate plant operations and maintenance, um, field services, and some construction and engineering, uh, overflow construction and engineering uh, services as well. And cool. so, yeah, my goal with that company has really been to kind of take that side of the business, to keep it separate from the development side of the business, and to take what we found we're ultimately quite good at, which is operating plants and bring those services to other people in the industry. So let's let's focus a little bit on Northern. So maybe talk to us a little bit about Northern's history, how long they've been in sure. business and, you know, all that good stuff. And then let's kind of, uh, you know, start talking about your specific division, the, you know, the O&M focused division, why it was created and, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah, sure. So um, Northern actually, uh, it, it has two histories because it was two companies that came together. It was a company that was called Northern Biogas, which was, um, it was actually a, a group of guys in Wisconsin who uh, owned dairy farms and actually, uh, if I'm not mistaken, built the first dairy digester in the state of Wisconsin. Um, and so, yeah, they, they, they owned a dairy farm. They built a digester on their farm. They decided they, they actually liked the digester side of it more than the farming side of it and kind of took that digester technology and started bringing it to other farms across Wisconsin and, and across the Midwest. Um, and, you know, so really, really in-depth uh, and, and very good relationships within the dairy community, which, is, is, of course, could be very, very tight-knit. Yeah. It can be very, it can be very touchy about who walks out of their farms. Um, so, so Northern really had the, the dairy aspect of, of the business down and the digester side of it and, and turning it into gas, really down to a T. Um, then comes along a, a group of guys who left Mark West. Uh, Mark West is a very large construction firm, uh, really best known for uh, really high, you know, large, high spec um, natural gas processing facilities. Um, you know, again, if I'm not mistaken, they built the largest uh, natural gas processing facility in the world uh, in Pennsylvania. I think it was quickly superseded by one in China. Um, but again, you know, really, really big. Uh, so a lot of experience in gas processing and construction and engineering yeah. um, and pipelines, you know, thousands of miles of, of natural gas pipelines. And so they had left Mark West, formed a company called Trillium, which is very confusing because of, of course, there's another Trillium in the industry. Um, so not the Trillium you're thinking of, a, a different yeah, Trillium. Yeah, yeah. And, um, 
And so they actually bought Northern Biogas and then I think very intelligently decided, okay, Trillium is a terrible name since there already is a Trillium and took on the Northern Biogas name. So it's it's really a common, it's an interesting combination of, of, you know, deep pipeline and gas processing experience uh, combined with very deep dairy experience. And of course, since then we've expanded, you know, we're expanding into uh, landfill gas and, uh, you know, wastewater digester gas, uh, but that was kind of the basis of the company. Right. And so we, what's important, I think, is for, for us not, for our listeners, not to confuse these two divisions in the sense that right. you have the development side of the company. Yes. You have the O&M side of the company and the two can be intertwined, but the yes. O&M side does stand alone and you can work with people who already have existing digesters or with other developers, you know, for that O&M side, right? Absolutely. And again, that's really why I was brought on is to maintain that separation yeah. and to to pursue specifically the O&M side of the business um, and, and field services side and, and side of the business. So, yeah, there are there are two sides. So, again, Northern does, um, you know, does have a couple of projects of their own um, yeah. and, you know, is certainly involved in development. Um, they're kind of over on that side of the organization chart and I'm on the other side of the organization chart. Um because we also um, operate and maintain facilities for other developers. Okay. And um, and again, we do keep that completely separate, so there's no conflict of interest, um, and have been very successful at that, and uh, you know, looking to expand that quite a bit here in the near future. One of the, one of the things that I've found interesting is there's actually very limited options in the industry for O&M without any strings attached. And what we find talking to a lot of developers, or at least what I've found, um, you know, since I've started, is that people are excited when you talk to them and say, hey, you know, you're a developer, you love going out, you know, finding these projects, locking up the feedstock, you know, locking up the offtake, um, bringing it all together, building the project and, and getting it commissioned. But do you really want to deal with everything that comes after that? You know, um, yeah. you're, you're great at the wedding. You, you may not be great at the marriage, you know, <laughs> and so it's, it's, you know, they want to basically get these things up and running and obviously get them profitable, but then they want to go on and do that again and again and again and again. And the operations side of it is kind of like, it, it's kind of an afterthought for a lot of them and, it, and it's not necessarily what they're good at uh, and it's not necessarily where their interest lies. And so being able to bring in a third party you know, once you commission the site or even before you commission the site and just basically take it and say, hey, you know, we've launched this project. Now keep it running and keep it right. optimized. Keep it producing as much gas as possible. Yeah. Keep it as profitable as possible. And um, and we're going to go on and do it all over again. And, right. and right. there's not a lot of people out there right now. There's very limited options for people who are willing to come in and do that O&M without a piece of the pie without any ownership in the project and that is something that we offer um and uh and again specifically specifically what we're looking to expand so so that was obviously where the need itself was born you just realized mm -hmm. northern realized this didn't really exist you were sort of doing it for maybe some of your own facilities or got into that and presumably somebody was asking you uh, at some point if you could maintain and operate another person's facility is that kind of how the whole idea was born or yeah yeah so so it, it, I think it really, you know, came from a couple of directions. It certainly came from, you know, we recognized that there was a need in the industry for this. 
Um, you know, we recognized that it was something we were good at, something we enjoyed doing, and something we were were really cut out to do well. Yeah. Um, you know, we're we're we are doing it for third parties. We are doing it for our own sites, of course, which is you know a, a great lesson, I think, to to not just be providing ONM for third parties where you don't have any ownership. And, you know, you may not necessarily be directly tied to the, the profitability of that project, but also to be operating projects where you are on the hook for, right. hey, if this goes sideways, you know, it's all on us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so it's, it's that, it, it, it's a very interesting experience to have both of those, um, you know, in our resume and be able to take that to, to third parties. The, the other thing which is, is, quite interesting is once you have a site up and running, you now have kind of an incubator for additional operators. Right. Um, you know, you got a lot of operators out there who are starting up there or, or a lot of uh, developers who are starting up their first site. And the question is, you don't have a site to train them at. How do you get your operators up to speed before they're thrown into this and right. have to hit the ground running? Right. And so, you know, that's another reason why it may be a really good idea, you know, to consider going to somebody who has sites in operation where we can get those operators, we can train them. And so when they come to your facility, they're ready to go and they, they know exactly what they're doing. They've already spent, you know, six months or a year at another facility getting trained right. um, and, and getting up to speed before they, they arrive at your site completely green. Yeah, yeah. Now, how, how do you, how does Northern manage that risk you know uh, taking on an O&M contract that somebody else has developed uh, you and I both know that there's some very sophisticated developers in the market there's also some that are less sophisticated uh, some that really just care about you know putting the plant in operation and want to sell in a year or five years mm -hmm. how do you manage the risk of whether that facility is really a quality facility and whether you want to get involved in the first place because at the end of the day your name is tied to the operation maintenance part of it right like is there yeah. is there something that you guys are doing to sort of qualify or de-risk yourselves that way yeah absolutely i mean we we have to do a lot of due diligence up front on the project and and again make sure that you know we're not walking into something that's designed to fail uh, obviously right. that's that's not good for anybody and you know with the experience we have again you know building our and engineering our own sites and our, our internal engineering and construction capabilities we can we can look at a project you know we're, we're not just throwing you know field technicians at this we're not just throwing you know generic operators at the site you right. know we're taking guys who have worked on sites we're taking you know uh, the experience that we have in building and operating our own sites and so we can pretty quickly look at a project and say you know, hey, this is this is well designed. It's set up to be successful, and it's set up not not just set up to be successful, but it's set up to be efficient and profitable. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that um, I saw a lot of uh, when I, you know, in in my previous experience was people would just make general assumptions and sometimes they would throw technologies at sites and they would they would you know throw different equipment at the site without really doing their due diligence on, is this actually the best option, you know? Right. And especially right. when it comes to upgraders is, oh, well, I heard the guy down the roads using membranes, so I'm gonna use membranes. And mm. that was it, that was the, the extent of their due diligence and getting themselves, you know, setting up designs and, and progressing projects that honestly could have been a lot more profitable if they spent some more time on the front end. Yeah. And so, 
Yeah, absolutely. We're able to to look at a project, you know, go through go through if it's if it's fully designed, obviously walk the site and look at how it's put together. Um, if it's still being constructed, you know, look at the drawings, look at the PNIDs, and and provide advice and say, hey, you know, I, I think you're going to want to look at this, or or maybe there's a better way to do it here, um, to make sure that you know before we get involved and are and are on the hook for operating the site and and making it successful that it's designed to be successful that the you know the physical design of the site is is set up to do that right okay Let, let's talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of an O&M agreement or contract um you know for some of our listeners maybe some people are you know pretty focused on the biogas and RNG market and have an idea of what O&M really means um some people on the other hand might not know what they might be you know they maybe they're they've been exposed to gas turbines and recip engines their entire life and it's a little bit different in biogas right yes so yes. when we when we talk about the nuts and bolts the finer details of an O&M contract like where is northern biogas starting and finishing as it relates to that O&M contract and is it just you know, have you gone as far as identifying similar in some ways to the engine world where there's specific sort of packages you have your you know your silver gold platinum or whatever um and and, and the different sort of models that fit within that or what does it what does that look like for northern yeah absolutely in fact um just before this call uh, what i've got open in the background actually right now on my computer is a is a list of options that i'm about to send a developer um, for a, a landfill gas RNG facility to, to basically give them a menu of, okay, here's all the services we can offer, put a check by the ones you want and the ones you don't want. Okay. Um, and so uh, we have done, we, we certainly, you know, have uh, sites where we're running everything, you know, the, you know, from the manure handling side of it, all the way through the injection point. I mean, really the entire um, scope of the project we're, we're you know operating the entire thing. We've got other sites where you know they've got one company that's operating the digester and we're handling the gas processing or vice versa. Mm. Um, you know again, we have a lot of background in anaerobic digesters. and so um, you know we, we can certainly and, and do handle a lot of those. Mm. Um, you know so 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 it really is you know how how long is a piece of string? We could do as much or as little as the operator wants. Sometimes people have their own um, compliance staff. Sometimes they already have, oh, we, we already, we've already got somebody to manage the well field or the landfill's gonna manage the well field. Or, you know, we've, we're already pretty good on the digester, but our digester guys just aren't comfortable with the gas processing side. So we right. can take on as much or as little as, uh, as anybody wants. And I imagine that this really opens up another opportunity for you. You know, you, if you get an O&M contract on something that you haven't developed, you're, you may at some point come across problems on the site, right? Whether Absolutely. it's with the, with the digester, whether it's the upgrader, whether it's, you know, something else that might be, you know, tied to the system. So presumably you guys would have a, a, an option of diagnosing that issue and potentially remedying that situation as well, correct? For sure. I, and I think that's probably the most important part is, you know, we're, we're not just there, um, you know, operating the equipment. We are, you know, we we are operating it, but we're also looking at it from a you know it, if something is is going to go wrong, um, you know obviously we're going to be there to fix it. If there's a way to improve what's currently going on at the site, uh, we're there to give that advice and to execute on that. Uh, yeah. So for for example, you know you get to a site and and 
you're having you know problems with the digester maybe you know you've got different feedstocks coming in and and you know the digester is is running into issues um, you know we're prepared to handle that but we're also prepared to make improvements to the site to say hey let's keep this from happening again and yeah, then it becomes right. a really a joint effort of you know we'll we'll engineer and design and uh, you know the improvement to the site obviously working with the owner to to make that happen and then we have a field services team where if the operators who are currently on the site is not enough manpower to execute that project yeah um, then we'll bring in our field services team they'll supplement the operations team and we'll make those improvements and and ultimately end up with a better more profitable site okay cool cool well let's maybe shift the conversation a little bit we've been talking a lot about northern um mm -hmm. You've been tied to the biogas RNG space, as you mentioned through your intro, for years. Uh, yes. I'd love to hear, you know, how have you seen the, the space evolve over the years? You obviously have decided to stay in it. Um, <laughs> you know, some people argue that we've already hit the peak. Some people say we're in the peak. Some people say the peak is still going to hit in three or four years in terms of projects and opportunities. What's your feeling and how have you seen the space sort of evolve and mature over the years? You know, it, it, there's definitely been a lot of changes. Uh, you know, I, I was heavily involved on the upgrader side of things, and to see the swings in that industry was really interesting. <laughs> um, you know, if you go way back, um, you know, people find this hard to believe, but, you know, still about half of the upgraders in the world are actually water wash systems. Oh, and the, okay. Yeah, which, which most that, people, actually. yeah, most people don't know that. And, you know, if you go globally and you and you look at all the systems out there, still about half of them, close to half of them, are water wash systems. And the reason is the water wash has been around for decades, and it's what everybody used for a very very long time. Um, and I'll I'll you know steer away from the upgrader side of it, but it it does give you a good example. Um, PSAs have always kind of been out there in the background, and for a long time, I feel like they were were kind of the redheaded stepchild you know people said oh you don't want to use a psa it's it's too much maintenance and it's you know the recovery is too low and that has really changed drastically yeah. in just the past five years yeah um you know i've seen numbers from and, and there certainly are still psas out there who are floating in the 70 and 80 percent recovery range which is insane um and there's psas out there right now topping 99.7 percent recovery uh, so that technology has come absolutely leaps and bounds. Um, you know, I don't mind saying that, um, you know, in my history of selling upgraders, uh, greater than 95% of what I sold when people actually did the comparison were PSAs. Wow. They're, they're an absolutely phenomenal technology. They've come a long way and there's some really great providers mm -hmm. out there now um, uh, with that technology. But of course, you know, so the water wash was out there, the PSA has always kind of been out there and people kind of forgot about it almost. And then suddenly membranes came out of the scene and oh, good Lord, it, it was, everybody <laughs> had to have a membrane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you got to chalk that up to, you know, Air Liquide and DMT, they were the guys who really kind of jumped on this right off the bat when the North American market took off. They did some really good marketing. They had some really good teams of guys out there and and everybody was, hey, I, I want a membrane or nothing. And so membranes came on really strong. And then, you know, without naming names, some of those vendors went away and, and, you know, ran into some problems and some delivery issues. And people started kind of going back and, okay, well, what other options are there? And it 
it's leaned back to PSA. We've seen some people go back to water wash. We've certainly seen a lot of amine wash, especially in the landfill gas sector. So there has been huge swings. Um, you know, right now, I would say uh, most of, of what I've seen out there is, is PSA, and that's um, everything from a small manure project to a big landfill. Mm. Um, it, it's just uh, when, when you really get into it, it's an, it's an interesting technology and it, it has it does have a lot of features and benefits over over some of the others out there. Uh, again, there's there's not necessarily there's never a bad choice and there's there's never there's never always a bad choice. and There's never always a good choice. You do have to do your homework and you do have yeah. to um, kind of figure out what the best technology is. Um, you know, definitely do that technology comparison. Um, you know, the industry as a whole um, has certainly shifted and moved. Uh, again, when it when it went crazy, you know, five, seven years ago, um, you know, dairy was certainly the, the low hanging fruit. And so the big dairies were the first that, you know, everybody came knocking on the doors of all the big dairies. Yeah. And then the smaller, the mid-sized dairies, and then the smaller dairies. And then, you know, hey, let's get any dairy that's out there and let's start piping them together and figuring out how to make it work. Yeah. And so dairy was really the bell of the ball for a long time. And, and of course, it's still a, if you can pick one up, it's still a great, a great way to go. Um, landfills. You know they're the most complicated. You've got a—they're the highest risk, but they're also potentially the highest reward. Um, there's a lot of gas at landfills. Uh, if you look at all of the RNG being produced, I saw some numbers yesterday which actually shocked me that said that right now of all the RNG going into pipelines across the country, 70% of it is coming from landfills. Wow, really, eh? That's a big number. Yeah, and, and that shocked me. I just assumed it would be mostly from from dairies, but you got to consider. There's 10,000, 13,000 CFM landfills out there in the country, yeah. and it only takes one of those projects to really shift the numbers um, for landfills. So you do have to deal with nitrogen. You do have to deal with oxygen. You have to put a lot of equipment. You have to invest a lot of money into a landfill gas to RNG site. But if you can if you can build it and get it and get that money and get it up and running, the amount of gas that you're producing is, is phenomenal. Yeah. And even if it's not worth as much as maybe gas produced off of a dairy, there's just so much of it. Yeah. Um, and so landfills really kind of, you know, it switched. It went from dairies um, and, and even, you know, pig manure and things like that, although a lot of the pig manure has gotten locked up with some of the big food producing companies. Um, you know, but then it, it kind of sw swung to landfills. And, you know, two years ago, the, 90% of the quotes I was doing were, were for landfills. Wow. Um, and now what I'm seeing today is all of those quotes are now going into construction. And so what you're seeing is is uh, there's a lot of landfill projects currently in that engineering and construction phase. So what's what's next? Um, you know, I think the landfills, they're, they're still, again, if you can find a landfill in this country that, you know, hasn't somebody hasn't already knocked on their door five or six times to talk RNG, go for it yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't think you're gonna find it but it's you know if, if you could find one absolutely go for it you know the the next swing i think that's coming and um people may argue this but food waste uh is seems to be yeah. the next one that people are now starting to go okay the dairies are locked up the landfills are locked up what's what's the next big one and yeah. again even though it may be a little less profitable just because of the you know d5 versus d3 and things like yeah. that um the food waste projects are kind of i think two years from now you're going to see a huge swing in that direction 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the local municipalities and whether that's diverted to a landfill or whether it's diverted to, you know, an industrial that might want to purchase some of that, uh, that might have some of the waste themselves. Um, you know, the CNI space hasn't really, I mean, there, there are CNI customers around the country across North America that have, you know, have digesters mm -hmm. on site and are producing gas, typically right now going through CHP systems. I think that's, you know, potentially the, the next move, as you said. Um, mm -hmm. And then beyond that, you know, I, I again, I haven't been in the space for as long as you have, but considering how many projects are out there, I just think there's going to be a lot of M&A activity, a lot of mergers and acquisitions. Oh, uh, sure. You have a lot of utilities, gas utilities who have committed, frankly, to meeting these large sustainability objectives of having a certain percentage of renewable natural gas in their pipeline or just completely, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, carbon neutral by, let's call it 2050. Well, how are they going to do that, right? I mean, right. they're most people are looking at either RNG or hydrogen, um, you know. So, so I think people are thinking about that. Utilities are thinking about it, and yeah, I think there's interest to to acquire projects where people can, especially if they're operating and have been operating fairly well. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, hydrogen is an obvious one. Um, you know, things things are going to start swinging towards hard hydrogen. And yeah. then, of course, you can't ignore the ERINs. Um, yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. ERINs, yeah. and I do want to come back to kind of mergers and acquisitions. Uh, maybe let me touch on that first. You know, in the oil and gas industry, when I was working up in Calgary in the oil fields up there, um, you know, we, we used to say it was raining engineers, you know, because <laughs> oil and gas is such a boom-bust economy. Yeah. And, you know, things would be going great and all of these tiny little companies would pop up and they'd be they'd be drilling wells and these guys you'd never heard of would have tons of money behind them. And then things would kind of peak and start to turn, you know, and as soon as things started to go downhill, it was mergers and mergers and mergers and everybody was buying everybody up and basically trying to pad their portfolio to 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 lessen the impact of the down, you know, of the yeah. downward swing. And then it would start all over again. And all of these companies, people would split off and form their own companies and they would go crazy and they would kind of ride the wave. And then as soon as things peaked and started downhill, it was all mergers and acquisitions again. And, and I think, you know, is this the peak of the industry? You know, I, I can't say it is. Um, you know, I've certainly read some articles to that effect recently that say, you know, it's it's 50 percent built out or, or whatever. Um, but, you know, that that's a point where a lot of investors start to get involved. You know, there, yeah. there are investors out there who aren't interested in looking at the market until you get to that point. Yeah. And so if it does peak or, or people fear that it's peaking and it, it starts to, you know, hit the backslide, you're going to see people start to get picked up all over the place. And, yeah. and it's not just going to be the, you know, the Arkeas and the and the big ones. It's going to be the little ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's the, the ball. It's going to be a snowball effect and, until you you know, things kind of equal out again. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. Um, you know, go, going back to the ERINs, um, I think that's a really interesting thing to keep our eye on. Um, you know, certainly if, 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 if it goes forward the way it's looking like it's going to go forward and they become a, a really viable option. Um, and I've heard people say, oh, it's only the really small projects that are going to stick with electricity. I don't necessarily know that's true. Um, I've certainly, you know, I'm aware of it, of it, you know, two or three fairly large projects that are out there right now 
who are all starting to hedge their bets and say, you know what, we have engines or we have turbines and they're running fine. Yeah. Let's not mess around with this RNG. Let's just kind of hang out and see what's going on with this uh, this ERIN and projects are getting yeah. delayed and people are already starting to look at. Um, you know, I, I heard just this morning from somebody, and of course I can't name names, but that a pretty major player in the industry has basically said, we're done with RNG, we're going back to power generation. Wow. And they're trying to get the jump on everybody and and um, start, you know, getting in a position to take advantage of this uh, in the future. And so it's going to be a very interesting space, um, you know, for the RNG projects that are already out there or the ones that are in, in development. I think it's going to open the door to people for people to consider what the, what they've done in Europe for years, which is let's take some of the gas and make RNG and then let's take some of the gas and generate power. Yeah. Let's sell that power to the RNG equipment and let's play all the markets. Yeah. And it it you know, you, you want to find the most profitable combination of those uh, benefits, of course, um, but you also want to mitigate your risk. And if you have some of it going into power generation and some of it going into a pipeline, that just gives you get to play both sides and, and kind of even things out. Yeah, yeah. It's the the ERINs piece, as you mentioned, it's very interesting. Uh, you and I both attended Dana Point in California, that mm. conference, the RNG conference there. And I was actually, you know, asking a lot of the developers, like, what do you think of ERINs and what, you know, where what size projects you think? And a lot of them were telling me between like four and 800 SCFM, that's sort of the, the break, not, I shouldn't say the break even, but that's the that's the break point, rather, of where they would consider like anything under, let's call it 800, 800 SCFM or 600 SCFM would be an ERIM, so electrification project, and everything above that would be an RNG project. But I think it's really hard to say, um, and I think that, the, the you know, where exactly this is going to go, and I think it's the people who can really forecast what's going to happen in the electricity market that will really have the true answers and maybe be taking some of the risks now that will pay off later. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is electrification hasn't stopped. Everybody knows that, right? right? As we continue to, North America continues to adopt more, you know, electric cars and there's more electrification of industrial processes and, you know, all of that stuff going on. Um, the reality is natural or sorry, elect, uh, electric prices are going to continue to go up. Right. right. And so all of a sudden, you might have this imbalance now of, yes, this was a great market. The RNG market was great. Let's continue to do this because, you know, putting renewable natural gas into the pipeline makes logical sense and there's a revenue stream here. But again, for some certain projects, maybe it does make sense to, to generate electricity. So we're really watching this market closely at CEM because, you know, as you know, we have a power and utilities vertical. We also have a biogas and RNG vertical. We've historically right. played in the power generation and CHP space for 20 years. So it's like, wow, which this like we, you know, it almost looked like CHP and power generation was dying to some extent just because of, you know, decarbonization and climate sensitivities about burning fossil fuel and all of that. But if people are now pushing a renewable fuel stream through a CHP or a power generating piece of equipment and producing that electron, uh, whether it goes onto the grid or you know whatever it's whatever they're deciding to do with it at the end of the day, this could open up a whole other market for us. So it's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, definitely have to pay attention to it uh, over the next uh, year or two. And from what I recall, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think everything's supposed to be finalized and the e thing come June, right? 
Yeah, I, I, I'd revert to you on that. I'm not I think, actually sure, I think, but some, somewhere in that sure. time frame, it sounds like we're going to have some some more information. Yeah. But you know, it, it's funny. I've been I've been going to these. You know, I, I want to call them RNG conferences, but they weren't always RNG conferences. They were biogas conferences for a lot of years. True. True. Yeah. And you know, I've been going to the same conferences for 18 plus years now, and I think I may have just dated myself, but um, you know, it's a lot of the same guys. That, that I saw yeah. 18 years ago. And, you know, 18 years ago, we were all doing power generation. And now we're yeah. all doing RNG. And yeah. one of these days, are we all going to be doing power generation again? Potentially. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's going to be really interesting to see where that split is. And it's going to be up to the industry to decide, you know, power generation is lower risk, lower reward, where RNG is higher risk, higher reward. Um, you know, you can invest a few million dollars into a... Um, into a power generation site and you can make, you know, a million dollars a year. You can invest $50 million into an RNG site and make $10 million a year. So it's, right. it's, it's, again, it's, it's, people are going to choose based on, you know, not just what is ultimately what's the most profitable, but what is that happy medium between, Hey, how much time and energy and money do we have to put into this? And, and, you know, how much risk are we putting in versus how much reward are we going to get on the back end? Yeah. And and the industry is going to decide that, you know, people are either going to choose to go with generation or they're going to choose to go with RNG and, you know, policy will swing it. Uh, we'll try to swing it one way or the other, but at the end of the day, the, the industry will decide. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, uh, it'll be fun to watch. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, maybe as we start to sort of wrap up the, uh, the podcast, I'm interested to hear from your perspective, again, because you've been so well connected to the space over the years, what challenges do you think the industry is facing today? Um, yeah, let's just leave it at that. Maybe it'll go somewhere else other than that. But what what challenges do you think that the industry is facing today? Well, I mean that that's a good segue because honestly, electrification is probably the biggest the biggest uh, challenge facing the industry. There is still a uh, you know, I would say inc very incorrect perception out there that uh, natural gas in any form is bad and terrible. Yeah. And it's it's you know, and, and you can you can go through LinkedIn and find any you know bunch of opinion articles. You're talking about how terrible you know uh, natural gas is, and and even some ridiculous ones that are that really don't understand RNG and are just yeah. like, why are we wasting our time on RNG? We need to go directly to you know electrification and it's like now nah, you're you're missing the point you know yeah. the the electrical grid in in north america and the uh the natural gas grid they still are about 50 percent i mean they're equivalent in size 50 percent of the energy needs of this country is still being produced by natural gas um versus electricity there are lots of ways to make electricity green um, you've got wind, you've got solar, you know, you've got all sorts of different ways to look at this. On the natural gas side, there is only one way to make natural gas green, and that is RNG. And right. that is, so you're talking one solution to 50% of the energy demand, of how to make 50% of the energy demand of this country green. I don't think it gets enough attention. Um, I yeah. think that, you know, when you start looking at it in that aspect, um, it's huge, you know, the, the city of Sacramento, um, and this is a story a lot of people will know, you know, tried passing a bylaw that said, okay, all new construction has to be 100% electric, cannot have any natural gas. 
whether it's commercial, residential, or otherwise. Well, you know, one of the first groups that jumped up and, and screamed foul were, were restaurant operators. How do you run an uh, how do you run an ele- a restaurant with a with an electric range? I mean, yeah. you, you can't cook food for at that rate and the way that things have been done. Um, you need natural gas. You know, there are just things out there that need it. Um, you know, some of the other some of the other articles which I find fascinating was, you know, they they talked about oh well, you know, fifty percent of cars are going to be are going to be electric in twenty years. Um, and then they start talking about, okay, well, do you understand that, you know, every, every gas station, you know, basically every charging station, when we get to that point, we're going to have to have charging stations capable of charging a hundred cars. And every one of those is going to pull the same amount of electricity as like a steel mill. Um, and then they were talking about trucks. If, if the trucking industry goes to electrification, you know, completely a charging station, a truck stop is going to pull the same amount of electricity as a small town. Yeah. I mean, it's it's insane. And you go, where is this going to come from? You know, yeah. and, and so there is, people are not considering, you know, electrification. Anyways, I'm kind of getting off on a soapbox there, but but obviously that's a huge challenge to the RNG industry. Policy, of course, um, if policy starts to go that direction as well, um, you know, and, and you know, the, the, the lobbyists going after electrification really start to have an impact. And you know, promote this this incorrect idea that RNG is somehow bad. Um, then um, you know that that's another risk. Uh, but I, I think you know, there's a lot of projects out there. There's a lot of organic waste that's still not being tapped into. Um, you know, technology is going to continue to get better. Um, you know, the, the 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 organic waste is not going away. Um, we need to do something with it. Um, this is a great option, which, you know, has benefits on all sides. And, you know, when people sit down and actually dig into it, I, I think they're going to see that. I think for that reason, the RNG industry is going to be around for a very long time. It's going to remain strong for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. It's going back to your point about, you know, the general public. I think especially the general public, people who are not really tied to the space, you know, they, that electrification message is very, very strong. And, you know, as we've talked about on the show many, many times, it's the the only way really to support the broader decarbonization effort is really with a full gamut of technologies. And a lot of that is just going to be, you know, based on where you are from a geographical standpoint. And, you know, do you have a high DNI factor? Does it make sense for solar PV? You know, does it make sense to put a windmill there? Does it make sense to do RNG? Does it make sense to do hydrogen, right? Like there's just so many different technologies and there's nuclear and there's geothermal and there's, you know, industrial heat pumps and all sorts of stuff. Just so many different ways. And I think we're just entering that phase. I know since we've been running this podcast, which I think is about don't quote me on this now. I think it's three years. We really have been focused on the podcast very heavily over the last two years. Um, but just within that two-year time, if you were to look back at some of our initial episodes to where we are today, the whole energy transition has just been fast-forwarded uh, to a point where it's unbelievable how fast things have changed from then to now. And we can only just assume what's going to happen in the next two years, right? But I, right. I, I really do personally, and uh, and we you know, at CEM do believe it's going to require a full gamut of technologies, and RNG is certainly you know one of those. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the space develops over the over the years. Yeah, it is for sure. It's it's. I think it's got an interesting future. You know, uh, again, things things are changing so quickly. 
Um, and it's hard to really guess where things are going to go policy wise and everything else. Yeah. But at, at the end of the day, if you if you want to decarbonize, RNG has to be part of that. You know, there's just no way around it. Um, you can't skip all those steps in between and go 100% electrification. The, the system is not there. The capability is not there. And, and will we get there someday? Uh, it remains to be seen. But until then, how do we decarbonize now? And, you know, RNG is a huge part of that. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Brad. Did we miss yeah. anything that you wanted to bring up maybe at all or no i don't think so um you know again it's it's uh it's been an interesting ride and i've you know been through a lot of different um areas of the industry and um you know really excited to be at northern biogas and uh a really great team of guys and again just a very interesting combination of of really high spec and and you know and digester kind of experience that um that i'm really looking looking to see where it goes and, and very excited for the future there cool cool well again it was a pleasure to have you on thank you for accepting the invitation thanks and a big thank you to our listeners for joining in to the podcast and listening in uh we really appreciate uh you know our solid listener base that we've developed over the last couple of years this has been episode 86 of Energy Radio. Again, my name is Lisa Katz, and you can contact me at lisa at cemeng.ca, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Thanks again, Brad. Really appreciate Thank you. it. Enjoy your day, okay? Thanks, Lisa. You too. Thanks so much. Have a good one.